Welcome to episode 67 of They Think It's All Over. That's right. Can you believe it? It's episode 67 of They Think It's All Over, the football shirt show. I'm Adrian Football Shirtalia. Who's joining us this week? It's Mike at Footy Shirts. And it's Scott at Fine Scotty. And apparently my twins going mental in the background as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they're um, very excited with Man City being one victory away from the Premier League, Scott. Yeah, disappointing news. I'm uh, glad to see Brighton decided to show up again today because it was a top six team. Unlike uh, last week getting dicked by 18th at home, but I'm... I'm sure the fans will be happy with the uh, Sky Sports victories. <laughs> the, was the, the game last week was it on telly, the Everton game. I don't believe so. I was away though, so I'm not sure. Oh, I can't remember. There's a random game that wasn't. Was it? Or was it Leicester game that randomly wasn't on television? But well, they beat my anyway. on TV. We'll take up our Sky scheduling issues with Tom, but Tom's not here with us this week because he's. Just really busy. He's got a lot of exciting projects on at work at the moment. He's doing some real content, I believe. <laughs> I think I was counting as real content as well, didn't it? Well, come on, look at all the quizzes. Uh, Freddie, I do or Freddie, I don't. That's top content, that is, mate. I'm telling you. Fair play to him. He's, he's a busy lad, and he? But yeah, I think we'll have to just see if we can get by without him this week, won't we? Well, if he gets that Sky Sports show, then we might not see him ever again. Well, I will. T- I mean, Scott, do you not tap you up to join him on it, no? That's awkward. Racist fox. <laughs> he did give me one little hint for today since you like a quiz show number 67 can we think of any footballers who have worn the shirt number 67 famous 67 shirt oh, I'm not sure it's famous is it I think I know one possibly Mesut Ozil when he went out to Turkey that's a great shout Mike fantastic shot. do you know why he wore 67 not a clue. I only know because I, I I only know that because I like Turkish football shirts and I got a few Fenerbahce shirts, but none with any name sets because they're not easy to get over it. But um, yeah, that just stuck in my head. But why? Why? Do you know why? Have you written that one down? No, no. Literally just wrote down his name. So there we go. Scott, how about yourself? Well, I think I remember one, but I remember it for a very unfortunate reason. Didn't um, Harvey Elliott get his leg broken in number 67? He must have because he's one of the other players that wore 67 until this year. So, so yeah, Liverpool. Well done. There are a couple of Celtic links as well. I think 1967 was that the year Celtic, the uh, Lisbon Lions, the year they won the European Cup. Wasn't it the first British club ever to win the European Cup? Could well be. Could well be. You sound like a Celtic fan adding that level of detail to it. Can you think of any, <laughs> can you think of any Celtic players that have worn 67 to? to I, thankfully, I can't because I'm not a fan. <laughs> Geordie goalkeeper now playing for Tottenham. Fraser Forster. Fraser Forster. And there was another one as well, central midfielder, enforcer. Did he finish up at Southampton or go via Southampton at some point? No, if if he went via Southampton, it's got to be Wanyama. And he was at Spurs, wasn't he? Did he go to Spurs as well? There we go. All Spurs. I didn't, yeah, he probably, yeah, rings a bell. Scott, you got any more? No. Why didn't you get that mess, Scottish? Linked. I was going to say, first of all, they're not Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) They're Scottish linked. And to be, haven't Scotland got like four football teams? So you definitely should have got them. Yeah, but you have to remember that out of the four, there's 50% of them that nobody else gives a fuck about. Unless you support (laughs) them, that's all you give a fuck about. (laughs) To be fair, we got a few Scottish listeners. I'd just like to add that I don't really believe Scotland has four football clubs. And I know you've got a lot of very historied football clubs as well. And remember, let's be careful because they will threaten to take our lives if we criticise those two specific clubs, even in jest. Yeah, I, I love them both. <laughs> Very good, Mike. I'm with you. Right, so what have we got this week? We have got the news, as usual. We have got Scotty Rance. We missed you for a little while, Scott. And we've got a special guest that we spoke to about, about Ajax and Total Football with a new book that's coming out. So really exciting feature coming up. But first, let's kick off with the news. It's getting to that time of year. Can you believe it? The season's not already finished, but we're going to be spending a lot of time on new releases. And Mike, I think you've got a number of new releases for us to go through this week. 
I definitely do. So I'm going to be leaving one of them to Scott because there's a little bit more information about that one. Um, but I have got, let me see, we've got one, two, three, four, five to quickly go through. So the first one is the Dortmund shirt. Now, we've all seen the designs. This was one of the fan design shirts. And I write little notes for all of the kits when I do this. And I've just written one word, which is awful. Anyone who follows us on socials will have seen the tweets that we put out. There's a bizarre resemblance to a sinking Titanic on the shirt. And from the, all of the fan designs that were put forward, it is incredible that that one was chosen and decided to be the best. I'm, I, obviously, I know you guys have seen it. Do, do you agree or do one of, does one of you like it? I don't like it, but I'm also going to go in there with some of the comments that we had from some of the followers, actually, which is quite interesting. And Nick said, saves me some money, so I'm happy with this design. Uh, Kit Fanatic said, das ist super scheiß. That was probably my favourite comment. But there were a few people liked it. I mean, the fans voted for it, so presumably the fans like it. How about you, Scott? You know, so I hate the design, but I feel reluctant to criticise it just because I know a fan designed it. And I feel like, can you imagine if you'd entered a competition like that and won? And, I mean, he obviously thought it was good. And I, I feel really bad that... Because, I mean, you would look, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be able to not. I think it might have been um, Forbidden Football Shirts had shared the German page that had released it and it was getting absolutely slaughtered. And I just kind of feel bad for the guy because I don't... I think the idea behind the design is good. You know, you, you remember the United... Um, 94, 95, home shirt had Old Trafford in the back. And there's been a few shirts that have kind of had stadium-themed ideas and they've come off well. And I don't know if it's if it's gone from exactly how he envisioned it to the shirt or if Puma have done what they usually do, which is fuck up a football shirt. You know, that, that could have been, there could have been a disconnect. But, yeah, I don't really like it, but I do feel, I do feel bad criticising it because we'd all love to be there, wouldn't we? We would feel sorry for him, but it is shy, sir. Uh, Mike, what have you got next? So I'm going to go on to one which I don't think is going to take us long to discuss, and that's the new Juventus shirt. We've all seen it. Personally, I'm probably going to get absolutely shanked for this one, but I love it. The more I see it, the the more I like it as well. I, I, my only criticism would be don't really like the, the lightning in the sponsor, but that goes across all of it. Um, I think I'm in the minority. The only thing I would say that I dislike about it, and it could just be the photo shoots, but in all of the promo shots, the yellow for the shorts and socks looks different to the yellow on the shirt, which I hope isn't the case, but only minor quibble. No, they wore it Sunday night and it does match the yellow matches. I think I know what you guys are going to say. Yeah, it's fucking awful. And it's got a plain back as well. And I think it looks <laughs> worse on this kind of shirt because it's got such a crazy design to just turn over. It's like the Seattle one, to just turn around to this to that big fucking box. And yeah, I'm just not... But then I'm not a big... I'm not a big Juve fan of their shirts in general. I think I know that they're restricted with what they can do, but yeah, just no, it's not for me at all. They're not restricted what they can do. They they quite often bend the rules and do whatever they want to do. Yeah, if that's what you're meant to do. Oh, we mean the shirts, not not on the field. Okay. Listen, it's hard, isn't it? Because certain clubs people like and don't like. It's no secret. I'm not a massive uh, fan of Juventus. This kit is atrocious. I saw a video of Del Piero receiving his shirt and trying it on, which I'll share on my socials. And the caption at the moment says, he has sadness in his eyes. You only see watching Eastern European Beep. and I'm going to probably delete the last bit of it, but even he does not look impressed with that shirt at all. So one out of three people like it. If Tom was here, it'd be one out of four. Yeah. Well, sometimes three out of four are incorrect, but anyway, we'll move on. So next up, we're going to go to the Netherlands with PSV. So they released their away shirt for next season this week. I like this one again, a real nice, simple, classy design. It's got a cream off-white colour like we're seeing on a lot of shirts at the moment with a dark red and blue trim uh, around the collar and the sleeves. And it's actually for the upcoming 110th anniversary of the club. So, yeah, big, big fan of this one myself. Not quite so controversial as the Juve one. But, yeah, I like it. What about you guys? You seen this one? It's interesting. I'm not sure if I love the collar or hate the collar. I think it's going to be a grow. I like the colours, though. Is there a reason? I noticed you said it's their anniversary. Are those colours particularly important to them? Or 
That I don't know, to be honest with you. The the information that I got was purely just from the the the, the shirt being released by the club. There wasn't anything stated about the, the colours. So, yeah, not, not sure on that one. But, hey, I think it looks good anyway. But we are seeing that sort of like cream off white a lot at the moment, aren't we? It seems to be the new thing. It's the new black and gold, really. Yeah, I think Bayern are getting off white next year. Roma have had it a couple of years ago. They got it again next year. Liverpool have had it recently. You're right. We're seeing an awful lot of it. Yeah, I think it looks good. I'm with you, Mike. I think it looks the that kind of deep red color along with the navy blue. Looks, and it's you know the thing I like most about it is all the colors are matching. So the sponsor is the same color as the blue in, in the collar. You know, it's not like a higgledy piggledy stromash of colors. It's all very neat and kind of goes together. The even the Puma logo's gone gold to match the stars with the badge and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a really classy shirt, that one. It does make yeah. a difference, doesn't it, when kits like blend the, the colours, you know, change the colours of the sponsors or, or of the manufacturers to fit in with the kit. It makes a hell of a difference. Yeah, it does. Definitely maybe a rare hit for Puma at the moment. Uh, on to the next one. So we're going to go back to Adidas again this time and over in Brazil. So Flamengo's away shirt has been released. Um, looks really good. It's a white shirt with horizontal pinstripes in black. There's obviously red de- detailing, which is obviously a Flamengo colour. The one thing I'd say about their shirts is I think they always look good. And one of the reasons they always look good is because their badge is just so cool. It just it looks so good on every single shirt they ever have. And like the Juventus shirt, they've used that Adidas, that new Adidas cut with the sort of like the longer part at the back, almost a little bit of a tail going on, which I really like personally. So yeah, big, big fan of this one as well. It's a good looking shirt. I'd be interested to see what it looks like when it's got the usual South American 15 sponsors put across it. That's true, actually. We, I think that's the thing. And we always see the promo shots of Brazilian shirts, don't we? And They've never got those sponsors on and everybody goes and buys them. And then they're surprised when they see them on the pitch and there's sleeve sponsors and collarbones and top rear sponsors, rear back sponsors, everything you can possibly fit. But hey, it, it's a it's a classy looking shirt. That's why they call it a Brazilian, because it's got nothing on it. Nice and clean. And like I say, but when it's in a game, it it, it looks a bit, bit more embellished. <laughs> the thing you've got to remember as well is not only is it a great looking shirt, but if you are struggling for likes and you buy a Brazilian club shirt and tag all their fans, you get a shitload of likes, all for like 60 quid. <laughs> you know what we did the other week and don't even buy the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we'll go on to the next one. The last one that I've got to talk about today, we shared this on our socials uh, over the weekend, and it's my favourite of the bunch. This is the new Levante third shirt, which I believe I read will be worn possibly this weekend, the weekend after, whenever it is. Uh, this is another incredible Macron shirt. I have been a critic of Macron in the past, um, but I even someone as sceptical about them as myself can't deny how good everything they're churning out is at the moment. So this is a turquoise slash cyan shirt, depending on what you want to call the colour. It's inspired by the centenary of the I can't even say this word properly, canonic coronation of the statue of the Virgin of the Los Desamparados, which is Our Lady of the Forsaken. So it's something that actually means a lot to the club. The shirt itself is just, it's beautiful. It's an incredible colour. It's got a lovely polo collar on it. There's an all over, uh, I can't tell from the photos if it's a jacquard weave type pattern or if it's embossed or what but there's this crown pattern all over it that's that's quite subtle but then when you get up close it's it's really detailed some other lovely detailing on it yeah it's it's just beautiful and on on the socials that seem to go down a treat as well i think everybody's in agreement on this one yeah i think it looks great and like you said macron are doing really good stuff and if you notice as well the pattern as you said we don't know if it's embossed or whatever it is in the background but it's everywhere sleeves body back and it just yeah it looks really looks really classy the the badge is the badge is um it's not monochrome obviously because it's got a couple of colors but they've adjusted that color of the badge so it matches the color of the shirt with the collar details and the macron yeah it's again it's a really well put together shirt and somebody's thought long and hard about how they've um put those colors together and they've done a really good job i'm going to go early but this could be one of the shirts of the season already could be. I, I agree. I, I 100% agree that I, I know I said the same about the Juve one, but obviously that's a slightly controversial shirt. This one, the the more I look at it, the more classy it looks. I, I just keep looking at the pictures and 
and the, the photos there's loads of different ones if you just google it you'll see i just it it just it looks so so good and i know we just touched on it with macron and how good they are but i genuinely think at the moment for me if you take the what i would call the big two out of it adidas and Nike, i don't think anybody's disagreeing that macron are the best around at the moment they're amazing it's it's an incredible shirt and i agree with you i think if we were to do a top 20 of 2023 at the end of this year which i'm sure we will i would not be surprised at all to, at all to see that one rank really high in there there we go i'm not sure macron is as popular in france but that's for a very different reason scott you've got a special shirt as well for us this week haven't you yes and I don't know if anybody, so this shirt is the, what, is it a shirt? It's not going to be worn in a game. Anyway, Sheffield United have released a limited edition shirt, but it's a promotion kit. So it's the 22-23 promotion kit. And there's a couple of, we'll, we'll, I'll speak a little bit about the details, then we can speak about the shirt, and then we'll speak about my favourite part of the shirt, which will come after. It's a standard Sheffield United shirt, you know, red and white stripes. It has the a lovely detailing of the, the rose, a jacquard pattern on the rose in the background. And um, due to the promotion, then it's been cluttered in gold details, you know, the, the, along the badge and through the shirt. And it's actually a really nice looking shirt. Um, but ERA, I think ERA are also a really good brand. They've been doing some great stuff. This is the production blurb. The limited edition promotion shirt features our iconic striped home design adorned with five royal red stripes and a central gold line representing our journey to England's top flight. Four white stripes showcase the intricate design, revealing a subtle rose pattern, paying homage to the Rose of Yorkshire, the proud symbol that sits on our crest. Um, It was very limited. They only released 620 units and they all went pretty quick. And the shirt will be worn uh, during the parade, the promotion parade. Priced at £60, which is very reasonable for a limited edition shirt. Usually clubs would, would take the piss, but they've, they've done good there. And I think if you're a Sheffield United fan, it is, a really, it is a really pretty shirt. I think it's a really, really nice shirt. But my favourite bit about it was the fucking social media meltdown after the release. <laughs> <laughs> and the two best bits were... First of all, the fans all went mental because they only released 620 and obviously clearly everybody wanted one. But the other good bit was the rivals reaction going mental about how a club that finished second <laughs> have <laughs> released a promotion shirt covered in gold. I think I saw somewhere somebody written, why the fuck have they got this emblazoned with gold? It should have silver in it. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely classic. And I think somebody... And then obviously the Sheffield United fans got their back up and they were all fighting about it. And somebody that hadn't got promoted was pissed off. And he'd said something about how the gold, that the gold was to represent the amount of money that they're going to get because they're getting promoted. It was just, um, it was absolutely great. It's, it's something as a neutral watching rival fans argue about a football shirt. I really, really enjoyed it. So I think I like the shirt even more because I've just enjoyed the aftermath so much. You know what? It, it is a really, really good shirt, and it kind of backs up what these people were saying online, but I think Area have missed a beat hugely on this one. Firstly, it's true, you don't need a new shirt for a second-place promotion party. The limited thing was, in my opinion, a bit dumb, um, and they've just been promoted. Everybody would have wanted one, but mostly it's a stunning-looking shirt save that guys you're going up to the premier league wear it fucking wear it it would have gone that would have been one of the kits of the season i know you know the the blue side of sheffield wouldn't like it but i think across the board everybody else would have jumped on board with that one as being an incredibly good shirt and possibly one of the best we'd see for next season but instead they've sold 620 made absolutely no money out of it and all of the fan base is pissed off because if you read some of the comments it's it's just Brilliant. One of them, my favourite, by the way, someone just put, sadly, it was limited, cracking shirt. Pity this season's shirt was shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pick of the bunch. The only saving grace is that the Sheffield United fans didn't have to deal with fucking Pro Direct Soccer releasing it. (laughs) Otherwise, it would be 620 on eBay for five that Do you know what? I haven't even looked to see if any are on eBay. mm. Let's hope not. 
Yeah, let's hope not. Let's hope not. I am a lover of that shirt myself as well. I think it's a it's a great Sheffield United shirt, and uh, it's good to see one half of Sheffield happy over the weekend at least. Uh, is everybody be following the playoffs? I mean, it's been some, yeah, pretty pretty exciting. Sorry, I know we talk about football shirts, but just just whilst we're here, um, it's been some pretty exciting games out there. Yeah, um, I, I've seen a few of them going on. I, I'll be honest with you, because uh, a, a side friend of mine, uh, Nomad Football on Twitter and Instagram, is is a good friend of mine. I kind of half follow Sheffield Wednesday, and I like to see them do well. So for his sake, I was hoping they could get a result, but it's not gone their way. So they got a lot to do to turn it round. But hey, well, stranger things have happened, haven't they? Second legs are going to be wild as well, though, because I don't think, apart from the Wednesday, I think every other game is a goal or less in it. So it's going to be some mental second mm. leg. Yeah, it's going to throw up some drama, I'm sure. Speaking of playoffs, everybody obviously, or most people have watched the Wrexham documentary. So did anybody look at the National League playoff final? It was, ab- I mean, talk about a box office season. So it was, was, that two, was that two all and pens in the end? or yeah. To all then pens, but it was they had Paul Mullen on the commentary team, obviously along with the other top goal scorer who played for Notts County. But the whole thing, they were three two up with a penalty in hand, and the Notts County boy fucking penanked it to get to get promoted and missed. <laughs> so the whole thing, I mean, they could have made a documentary about oh. both teams, but it turned out thankfully the next boy went up and scored, so they still got promoted. But yeah, there was. There was a lot. Of, I mean, it was a it was an amazing game to watch. Subbed the goalie as well, didn't they? For penalties, did the uh, did yeah. Charlton Charlton Athletic or Holland? Yeah, huh. yeah did a yeah did a Holland. Yeah, I, I want to see Salford do well just because people fucking hate that they're doing well. It's going to be a tough league, league two next year. But um, anyway, have we got any other news? Was there anything out there that anybody wanted to cover off before we move on? I think that's it. For me. I think the rest of his leaks, and while some of it looks quite interesting, obviously we don't discuss in-depth leaks so I think we'll save them for when they're confirmed particularly for me the, the buy-in leaks that we're seeing at the moment I think that that is definitely something I'm quite excited about but yeah we'll save that for when uh, when they're confirmed. Yeah there's also a PSG leak um, again as Mike said I think it's looking extremely promising another kind of throwback design um, but speaking about League One we did have the Rainbow Weekend again so all the league and players were Adorning the rainbow numbers on the name sets again, but um, a certain gay wasn't wearing them because I think he plays for Everton again now, so he'll be happy. (laughs) Yeah, we joke, but it's moved into quite a big story, actually. So the players were wearing these rainbow name sets as a gesture to aid International Day against homophobia, transphobia and biphobia. But it did result in a number of players actually refusing to play their games at the weekend amongst which was the uh, Toulouse and Rocco Ford, Zakaria Abacal. Yeah, it has moved along and actually the, the French sports minister has come out and said that players that refuse to play should face sanctions. In return, the uh, the head of a players' union said they were astonished their members were asked to do so. So turning is quite a serious story and more serious than, than we normally cover. So we'll um, see how that develops over the coming weeks. In the meantime, let's move on to and the return of Scotty Rance. So just in case anybody was worried, I'm sure they weren't, but even though I've been away with work for the last few weeks and unable to make the pod, I've still been angry. I've just not been angry online. So this week we are going to talk about the absolutely fucking outrageous prices that football shirts are coming out at at the moment. And very specifically, because anybody that follows me on Twitter or listens to me on the pod arguing with Mike about the fact that I like authentic shirts, I will only ever buy the authentic if there are two available. I only buy stadiums if it's the only one available. It's nothing to do with wealth or snobbiness. It's just I prefer the detail in the shirt. And yeah, they've released, Adidas have released that Juventus shirt this week and it's fucking 130 fucking pounds. And I think the the thing that's boggling my mind the most is where the fuck are they coming up with these fucking numbers? I mean, bearing in mind, does anybody remember what Adidas did during the year this year? 
If you're not an Adidas authentic buyer, you may not even have noticed. But at the start of the season, their authentics were £100. They have gone up fucking twice during the season. So the same fucking shirt. So, the, the, for example, the Man United third that was um, somebody shared the deal on the United website is now 30 fucking two pounds. So that came out at a hundred pound at the start of the season. Then randomly when they released the long sleeve version, it went to 110. And now when you go and look at it, even though it's on sale, they've marked the price as 120. So it was never actually sold at 120 because it went into the sale so quickly. And then now they're coming out with a hundred and fucking 30 quid. So how have we gone in 12 months? How have we gone up 30 fucking pound? On a shirt that shouldn't shouldn't be even be a hundred pound in the first place. I mean, Adrian, you're a fucking statistical man. What's the rate of inflation at the moment? Eight percent ish. I don't know. Aye, so, it's, so it's not fucking one hundred to one hundred thirty pound, is it? So where the fuck are they? Where the fuck are they coming up with this number? And they're genuinely, you know, you think about you think about the football shirt market as a whole. You know, if you're talking one hundred and thirty pound, little less than a couple of years ago, you were talking a a semi decent. 90s shirt that's p- potentially relatively rare bearing in mind that they were fucking 40 pounds when they come out so we so these modern shirts that are templates that are fucking lazy that are 90 percent of the time fucking shit we've now gone to 130 i mean that is that's big money for a fucking t-shirt not to mention if you are like myself that likes a patched shirt or a or a a customized shirt, you're, you're talking 130 quid, you've not even got fucking delivery or a fucking name set on the back. And even the name sets have gone 25. So to get a, a new shirt that's mass produced, shitly designed with a patch and a name set, you're, you're fucking up at the utmost 165 fucking pound. It's insane. Even, and I, and I don't know where the, discon- the disconnect is coming between the brands either, because Nike, I mean, Nike have jumped up They've gone up to 125, which again is is fucking madness. I just don't. I, I I can honestly see. You think about what's been going on with the COVID boom and the shirt collecting and classic football shirts making it making it more. We you know we talked about this almost becoming like art collectors. These are now becoming sought after items that people are looking at to buy to keep for the for the long term. Look how many shirts sell out, man. How, how many, and I think we should, we will mark this now, episode 67. And for the for the sake of research, I will monitor a certain amount of clubs. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. I will actually write down clubs and I will monitor the shirt. Let's see how many shirts sell out now. Because there are special, great example is that Roma shirt. That Roma shirt with a SPR, a SQRP came out. And it is, it went in a flash. You know, special shirt. It's not going to be worn that often. I reckon these new shirts that come out, you're, they're not going to, they're not going to sell out because it is getting fucking unattainable at the moment. How much? And clubs are releasing fucking four or five shirts a year at one thirty a pop. It, they're they're going to. I think it's going to die away. I honestly think they're they're potentially over flooding the market and overpricing the market, thinking that they're that they're clever. Bearing in mind they make them for a fucking pound in Chinese factories, you know, it's, I, I just don't understand it. It's insulting to the consumer that they are banging these prices out 12 months at a time. It is disgusting. Don't think any of us are going to argue with that, are we? That's having quite a good day until Ben Scott. Yeah, that was quite a long one. I do apologise. I was kind of, I didn't think it would be that long. But yeah, I'm obviously a little bit more worked up about that than I thought. No, that's, that's all right. That's all right. Just for the benefit of the listeners, we do edit it down. So it will have only been about three minutes for you. But me and Mike have been sat here for 17 minutes. <laughs> to, to be fair, just to follow up with it, I, as I said, I don't think anybody listening is going to disagree with what you're saying. And like we've touched on in the past as well, it also pushes people towards the counterfeit market. It's as simple as that, but there's the shit's going up that much. Unfortunately, the fakers are not putting the prices up on theirs. So that's where everybody, not everybody, that's where a lot of people and certainly the casual buyer is going to go. And the the other reason that it makes me think that they're manipulating the market is they're not jumping stadiums up by that percentage. 
it's only the authentic shirts that they're jumping up by that percentage, which, you know, make, I mean, obviously people are paying attention, aren't they, to what's going on. I just, I, I, my mind, I mean, we, we go around in circles here, but I just do not see how people think, if it's collectors buying them, think that buying a mass-produced football shirt for that much money is going to be an investment in the future. I just, yeah, maybe for a different day, another day. Shall we move on to a lighter subject? Shall we go to a football-related subject? Let's do it. What does total football mean to you, Scott? Total football makes me think of Cruyff. Oh, no, I I know the proper answer because I watched Ted Lasso. So it's actually, what? Is, are we not, is it not the Ted Lasso total football? Yeah, I think it will be. Uh, if we're talking about Ajax, it will be. Uh... Oh, Ajax, right. No, don't know anything yeah. about that one. Yeah, we are going to be looking at an in-depth feature on Ajax and Total Football. And to do that, we spoke to Gary Thacker, who is the author of Dutch Masters, which comes out to you on the 22nd of May, available now to pre-order. But let's hear from Gary and find out all about the beautiful game. We are really excited to bring to you this week an expert on Ajax. It's a team that we've been wanting to focus on and do a feature on for a little while. And we have the man, we have Gary Thacker, who's recently written a book. It's just about to come out. I'll let him tell you all about it called Dutch Masters. But Gary himself has also appeared in lots of publications. You may have come across him in these Football Times, Talks, Sport, all sorts of bits. Very well published author and writer. But um, today we're here to talk about Ajax. Hi, hi Gary. How are you? Hi, Adrian. Th- yeah, thanks for having me on board. Um, I'm a sort of great advocate of Dutch football, so yeah, you, you couldn't be, uh, you couldn't sort of have a better, better time for me than talking about Dutch football. Happy to ch- chat about the book, which is coming out on the 22nd of May. Tell us the title again. Tell us, yeah. give us a little flavour about what the book's about. Sure. So basically, it's called Dutch Masters when Ajax's total football conquered Europe. So the, the sort of main part of the book covers the 1971, 72, 73 uh, European Cup triumphs and out this year because obviously that's 50 years after the the, the last of the hat trick of European Cup triumphs. And basically the book um, sort of looks at the history of Ajax, how total football came about, who invented it, although I can't find the answer because nobody knows the answer where it <laughs> and what it is, and it's just as just as difficult to say what it is. But then the, the main focus of the book is those those three years after Mikkels turns up uh, first triumph in 71 and Mikkels and the, the second and third under Kovacs. And then how it fell apart and the legacy that the Ajax team of that era left now, which is still echoing around European football to this day. And I was massively fortunate. I mean, so privileged to get an interview with people like uh, Ruth Kroll, who played for that, Johnny Rep, um, Sonny Saloy, who played for Ajax for a number of years, Pierre Vermeulen, played for playing all the same sort of year, Pete Dilschut, who played for the Orangi in the 78 World Cup, and notable experts in Dutch football like David Winner um, or Cock, who just produced uh, the classic biography of Johan Cruyff. Menno Pot, probably the, the most Ajax expert guy you could, you could ever meet. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a book that needed to write after my Dutch book about the um, national team in the 74-78 World Cup and uh, just ran it up the circle. Almost like a prequel, I suppose, to the book, but uh, great having a good Dutch football and it was a labour of love to write the book. So obviously you listed a couple of the managers back then, you know, Mikkels and Kovacs, who, who I'm not, I might, shall I ask you which one invented total football or maybe we'll circle back to, I know you didn't come up with an answer, but did, did you, did you come up with either of those two or have you gone back even further in history it's in terms of massively, that? massively before then it's one of these things, you know, I always describe total football as a bit like fog. You can see it and you, you know where it is in front of you, but you try to grab hold of it yeah, and it's gone. There's nothing there. Um, the history of total football is like the history of um, Homo sapiens. You know, they seem to arrive in so many different places at the same time. Uh, there's a guy called uh, Jimmy Hogan who was a um, coach in the early years of the 1900s, a very rebellious guy who was very much adherent to passing football rather than the dominant tradition in the, the FA at the time, which was basically booted up the park and chase it. Um, yeah. which some, some clubs still play to this day. Well, um, you know, Leeds are trying it again, aren't they? I think yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, it's, I just, just think, you know, uh, I mean, there's football, there's football. Um, but but Hogan, um, he went to Holland in the early years, the 1900s, and into a co- uh, coaching club in called Dorette. And he actually coached the national team as well. But then moved on to 
Austria and worked with uh, um, Weissel for the Austrian Bonder team. And the Austrian, what was called the Austrian world, where all players interchange positions. And you're thinking, wow, this is a bit of top football here. And then he went to work with uh, Sebesh for the, the, the magical Magyars. And if anybody sort of was the father of European total football, it was probably Hogan. But it also existed in South America in the sorts of 40s, 50s. There was the, the Makina team of River Plate, who played a very fluid system, five forwards, centre forward, sort of drop back. Yeah. Um, you know, people think that the uh, the false nine was invented by um, Guardiola or Messi. Dream on, guys. That's happened yeah. <laughs> years before. Peter Gucci did it for the Magyars. It's happened, I say, with real players. And the Gran Torino team, uh, who's originally yes. a superb uh, uh, air crash, they applied a, a similar sort of system. So total football is a really difficult thing to get a grasp on. Um, I, I sort of researched some of the players who played in uh, Cruyff, and I asked several players, I said, mentioned the crowd, David, uh, David Winner, uh, Menno Pot, uh, or Cox, great uh, journalist at the time, expert in Dutch football. What is total football? And if you get, it's one of those things like, you know, if you get five economists into a room and ask them a question, you get seven answers. Well, if yeah. you ask people about total football, you get 28 answers. And <laughs> there's no way of pinning it down. It's almost like a, a, it's like a culture, it's like a belief, it's like a, a system you have to have a, once you once you become an adherent to it, it means lots of things to lots of different people. So yeah, total football was uh, was a real key thing. I, I, when I was growing up, forgive me for rambling on a bit here, Adrian. No, no, that's what we do. So yeah. okay. <laughs> when I was sort of growing up, I was when I had the great Ajax teams, the 71, 72, 73, and the Dutch national team, 74 and 78. I'd be sort of in my early teenage years, and you know, I, I found a method of playing football that to this day, to this day, I still believe is the best way of playing football. You get your best 11 players in the park and you give them the boys and away you go, guys. And so, yeah, so I'm a massive fan of Dutch football, especially the Ajax teams in the 70s. And it was a book just, just needed writing. Ah, that's brilliant. I'm trying to think what's the most um, similar thing today to total football. But like you say, it's more of a, a belief system rather than a, a set strategy or set formation. But in my head, I always think it's the you know the W formation that the sort of Man Cities and things are using now. Like you say, they just chat, chat their best five attacking players on the pitch and sort of say, off you go, do your thing. It's interesting to me, we can talk about Guardiola there. I mean, Guardiola played under Cruyff. Oh, so there's the link. Cruyff played under Mickles. Mickles inherited from Vic Buckingham and uh, Jack Reynolds. Jack Reynolds is probably the guy who set Ajax up to the club that they were at the time. And uh, so there's so many, you know, Systems that are adopted today have so much to adhere themselves to through total football. In Barcelona, the way they applied the 4 3 3 system, all the teams of Barcelona, from the youth team up to the first team, play exactly the same way, which is a, a situation Jack Reynolds introduced at Ajax in the, uh, in the 30s. And, and you and you mentioned Mikkels, and I guess for some of our younger listeners as well, yeah, the the Ajax team of the seventies and t- total football is is something that we've all got consciousness of because of those those great players, you know, Cruyff and yeah, we can talk uh, Arihan. I think was um, coming through to, uh, at the Ajax at that time. Some of the other sort of names that people grasp onto, but but the coach as well, Mikkels, like you say, and he was the coach of the Dutch national team when they won the Euros as well. So they right? were in eighty. He was in eighty eight. Mikkels is an interesting character. Um, he never managed a football club, professional football club, in his life before he got the Ajax job. And wow. he'd, uh, he played for Ajax as a centre-forward. I think he scored something like four goals in his debut, but his sort of career fell away after that, a big sort of centre-forward, but not highly skilled. And uh, he got the job in, forgive me, I'm not sure, but the year 62, 63, something like that, after Big Buckingham left. And Ajax were near the bottom of the league at the time. Uh, he won his first game in charge, something like 9-3. And then he only won two or three of the, the last five or six games. And Ajax stayed up. I didn't get relegated and uh, they gave him another contract and he, he went from there. But it, it's really fascinating at the time Ajax were um, Dutch football and Ajax were very amateurish. They only had two professional players. The first player to get a contract, I think, was Kaiser and the second was Cruyff. But when you say a professional contract, both these guys had to have other jobs to eke out their salary. Cruyff used to work for a magazine company and st- literally still on the street couldn't sell in these magazines. Really? I, didn't, I did not know this. Wow. Pete Kaiser uh, owned a tobacconist shop. I mean, fascinating fact about Dutch football, you know, you look at you look at these teams that by the time the 1974 World Cup, Feyenoord won the European Cup in 69 
Ajax had lost the final in 70. So it's, I've got that wrong way around. So Ajax lost the final in 69, final won in 70. Ajax won in 71, 72, 73. By the time you get to the 1974 World Cup, Dutch go in there as favourites. But in the history of World Cup football, the Dutch had played two games in World Cup football in 1934 and 1938. They'd lost both those games. They hadn't qualified for a World Cup finals since 1938. Yeah. Wow. So they literally problem. were not a force at all yeah, on no the world stage. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Until as recently as 50 years ago, they were just, yeah. just da- not a world David Wood, In David Wood's book, Brilliant Orange, he used, there's a phrase he used there, that's, and it's, it's accurate, that in 1974, when the Dutch qualified for the World Cup, they had a World Cup record equal to that of Luxembourg. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> The amazing story of Ajax is that, you know, in so in the early 60s, when uh, early to mid 60s, when Nichols took over, they were a, they were a small club in a, a minor league in a small European, North European country that had a poor record of competitive football. Five or six years later, they were dominating European football. That's the difference the type of football made at Ajax. A brand and a concept that everybody that, that loves the game today just instantly thinks of. You say total football and they think of the Dutch team, they think of our Ajax team. So, again, I'm sure the book goes into an awful lot of detail, but from the outside looking in, I think every football fan in the world knows who Cruyff is and his story, but who are some of the other key players during that period that people maybe haven't heard of? Well, probably the, the second behind Cruyff has always been Kaiser. Uh, and the other guy who was there at the same time when Nichols turned up was a guy called Schwartz Spart. It was actually, he's often termed as Mr. Ajax. He played more games for Ajax than any other player. He scored more goals for Ajax. Right. Had a for Ajax. But as, the, as the, 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 the team was developing, coming through, uh, it, it's interesting. And just to give you an example of what I'm going to say, in 1971, the European Cup final, the goalkeeper, uh, uh, Stoy, was, had been purchased. But Serbia had come through the ranks. Hulsa had come through the ranks. Kroll had come through the ranks. Harry Hahn had been signed as a youth player. Um, he came, so he virtually came through the ranks as well. Pete Kaiser came through the ranks. Barry Holsoff came through the ranks. So it's, it's amazing, really, that the players, that have, uh, Jerry Muren, who's been signed as a young player as well, um, they brought a lot of players through. There's a crop of amazingly talented players came through the youth team at Ajax that um, Nichols developed, and he signed a few players to go with them, such as Neeskins and Dick Van Dyke, Ivasevich. Uh, but a lot of the, the players that came through were schooled in total football, playing that game all the way through their youth career and uh, coming through. So when they got, and this is the, the, the gift that Jack Reynolds gave to uh, Ajax and uh, moved up to Barcelona. When he packed his cases and went to Barcelona, that all the clubs, and to this day, and I spoke to a guy called Sonny Saloy, who played um, Bragg later. He played at, uh, two periods post, so we're talking sort of late 70s, 80s, and he now works for the Ajax Academy. When I spoke to him, he was attached to Sharjah uh, in Saudi Arabia, where they, they were uh, developing the Ajax Academy there. And he says to this day, they still play Cruyff in football there. The Ajax Academy is very much the same. It's, the Academy is called Tottent, forgive my Dutch pronunciation, but it means the future. The future, okay, future. yeah. Uh, well, very, very apt, very apt. And uh, like you say, you know, one of the most famous academies. And actually, it makes sense now where you think some of these, the Cruyff influence through certain clubs in Europe. You think why these clubs and managers always sign players that have been schooled in one of those one of those clubs. So, uh, yeah, I'm talking about your Ajaxes, your, your, even your Man Cities now, your Barcelonas, because I guess the coaches will have known they've been, been schooled probably in, in that way, that total football way. Yeah, it's like a family tree. You can trace it back. Um, you, know, you look at the players who played under Cruyff at um, Barcelona, so you've got people like Koeman, who's managed um, at, at Ajax, also the Dutch national team. Um, as I mentioned, Guardiola, Philip Cocu, the, se- the several players who have um, And you look at the players who've managed the Dutch national team, so many of them are former Ajax players. So they've taken that, that, that philosophy, that ethos from Ajax into the, uh, into the Dutch national team and, and across Europe in so many top, I mean, I, well, I'm talking about, you know, small club, we're talking about the major clubs in Europe. And that ethos, as you say, because of the amount of former players that have gone on to manage the Dutch national team, that's become the, the, the Dutch national ethos as well, hasn't it? You know, it's, it's that's how it's, like you say, family tree, that's almost how it's transgressed from, from the Ajax total football to becoming the Dutch 
total football because because of that link. It'd be wrong to say that they actually play, uh, sorry, the British national team already actually they play total football. What they play is a development of the total football. I mean, people often say Mickles invented total football. No, he didn't. There was a philosophy that was there and he picked it up and he developed it. And it's like, you know, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the, you know, the wheel was invented a long time ago and there's lots of things that happened because the wheel was invented. And, and total football is very similar. You take the you know, development of it. Mickles had was fortunate to have a fantastic crop of uh, players coming through who could adapt to what he wanted them to do. Those three European Cups that they won, who did they beat in those finals? Because I'm always fascinated by the way you get the shift and changes of powerhouses and teams. And that, you know, 50 years ago, who were the who were the big teams that they were facing? Yeah, well, they, in '69 they lost to AC Milan. Um, they were a young team at the time. It was, it was too early for them. <clears throat> Barry Holshoff, who played uh, in the final there, said sometimes you need to lose a final to win a final. It was a, le- it was a learning curve for them. And Feyenoord won it in '70, but in '71 they played Panathinaikos, and it's often the victory over of Panathinaikos is often sort of denigrated because it, it likes a great team, you know. But any team that gets to a European Cup final, by definition, has deserved it, and they've, they've beaten um, Everton in the quarterfinals. They played Red Star Belgrade. Uh, last wow. four in Belgrade before two over three nil victory at home, and they beat Panathinaikos the first game. Second game they played into Milan, um, the Italian champions at the time, won that game two nil. And then the third t- uh, title they played Juve, and again won one one nil. And they so they played three successive European Cup finals, never conceded a goal in those games. And Hank Oinstein, who's the goalkeeper, is the only goalkeeper playing three successive European Cup finals and never conceded a goal. Wow. Well, well, I hope he was on a clean sheet bonus even back then. That was a thing because, um, yeah, he deserves it for that record. Deserves it. Absolutely. Well, tell us about the kits. And I know the book's more looking at the team and it's looking at total football. But did you get get into any detail around the actual IX kit at all when you when you were researching? Yeah, I mean, the, the IX kit is, I mean, it's it's, it's iconic and... That sort of white shirt with a big, broad red stripe is, is iconic. And it happened by accident. So basically, Ajax got promoted to the top tier of Dutch football in, around the early years of the 1900s, 06, 07, something like that. And they, at the time, they were red and white shirts, striped shirts and black shorts. Now, the, the Dutch Governing Football Association, it wasn't the KNVB at that time, it was before they were formed. Um, but they had this rule that no two clubs could wear the same shirts, same colours. Um, Sparta Rotterdam wore red and white stripes and black shorts. So Ajax either had two choices, either for goal promotion or change the, the colours. So they did. But rather than losing the stripes, they combined them all into one broad stripe around the middle of the shirt and changed the shorts to white, to white shorts. And that's where the iconic Ajax kit comes from. But it's interesting, sort of, at the same sort of time, within sort of six or seven months, um, the Dutch national team were due to play England. And the Dutch national team were at the time were wearing a white shirt with a red, white, and blue diagonal sash, right? Which represented the colours of the Dutch flag. And they've d- used that as an away kit, I think, in, in recent days. Years. They still use yeah. it as an away kit occasionally. They used it in the 2010 World Cup a couple, on a couple of occasions. Um, so that used to be the home kit back. In, okay, that was right. The, yeah, but there was only one kit. There was yeah, only one. Yeah, okay. There was only one kit. But when they played in England, who also wore white. They had a there's a problem. So basically, uh, the Dutch decided that the, for the England game they would, would change the strip and they wore an orange shirt which represented the Royal Dutch House of Orange, the Royal Family of Orange, and uh, they they lost 12-2, which still remains their biggest defeat in international football. However, they decided to keep the orange shirts. So from that period, that six or seven months of the early years of the 1900s, both the iconic Ajax. And Dutch shirts were sort of formulated within months of each other. Two of the most iconic Absolutely. shirts in terms of templates of all time within six months of each other. And it's really, really strange. I mean, the Holland story itself, I thought you were going to say they won the game or they got a good result because yeah. there's stories of teams keeping kits for that reason, but record defeat and they thought yeah. it looked so good they kept it yeah absolutely yeah as i say they lost 12-2 and it's one of those as it remains this day their worst international result ever but some strange reason they decided they're going to keep the orange kit and how many fairness afterwards they didn't do happened too bad it really 
Listen, we most weeks we have a, a very small segment called Kit History, and we we look at why teams or countries wear their kits. And 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 the guy that does who does that part of the show called Mike, I'm I'm, hoping, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this. There's been questions around his accuracy um, <laughs> over the last uh, <laughs> sixty odd shows. And uh, yeah, we we we're not sure how much is fact and fiction. But if you're ever interested in in coming on weekly and giving us a five minute section on Kit History, then uh, Mike sure. Michael loses job. So um, oh, yeah. If you, I mean, if you're interested, there's, there's a classic story about how Cruyff got number 14. I mean, uh, happy to tell you that one if you want, if you're interested. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to know, yeah. Uh, well, Cruyff had always wore nine or ten, historically, um, in the Dutch team, uh, sorry, in the Ajax team. I mean, he'd been injured for a while. He had an injury against, I think it was injured to PSV. He was out for a couple of months, and in the in his absence, Jerry Muren had taken over his shirt, nine shirt. And... Uh, when Cruyff returned to the first team, I mean, this Cruyff was still quite young at this, at this stage, one of the junior members of the team, but still the totemic leader of the team. And when he was sort of selected to go back into, the, into his pit to return to play, um, you handed the shirt back to him. And Cruyff said, no, 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 you, you've been wearing the shirt. The only numbers ever mattered to Cruyff was how much you paid. The number on the back of the shirt was never a big thing for him. <laughs> um, and uh, he said, no, you keep the shirt, you've been wearing the shirt. And, that's that's fine. And dipped his hand into a pile of shirts that was lying by the side of the table. Pulled out number fourteen. He said, "I'll wear this." And, and it's one of those stories you think, oh, "I just hope it's true." And yeah. um, I, I say quite recently, but after I've written the book, I managed to get a, um, uh, I was talked to Or Cock, who wrote Cruz's biography. Brilliant, brilliant book, brilliant book. Um, Cruz's autobiography, my turn, is interesting. This goes into much greater depth. And Orcock had spoke to several players who were there at this time, and it's a true story, apparently. They went wow. out, Croke wore number 14, Muren scored, uh, we wearing the same shirt, and Croke wore number 14 for Ajax and the Dutch national team from that day. Literally lucky dip in a pile of shirts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's, and it's true. It's a great story. It's, you know, you think, when, I, when I read it, I thought, I hope it's true. But it's a great, it is. Yeah. And you think, yeah, how many players are inspired by former players to pick shirt numbers. Do you wonder how many number 14 shirts are out there Yeah, around the world have been, been inspired by, by Cruyff? Obviously not at Ajax because this shirt's number's been retired in his honour, so, which is a lovely touch, lovely touch to yeah. round up that story. Well, Gary, where can we find the book? So remind us, when's it out? It's actually published on the 22nd of May. It's um, available for pre-order though on Amazon. You can either type in my name, Gary Thacker, G-A-R-Y-T-H-A-C-K-E-R, or type in Ajax and you'll go to it anyway. It's doing really well. I mean, amazingly well. It's in the, I think it's number four in the um, European Football League, and it's not even going to be out for another couple of weeks. And number one is the hot new releases in the uh, Amazon European Football League's chart. So I'm well happy with that. So, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in football and the history of football and one of the iconic teams of, of European Cup history, uh, go for the book. Go and buy the book. I mean, there you go. Uh, and hopefully this is, this conversation has been a taste of uh, what's in that book for people. We will, of course, share the link to the Amazon shop as well um, in the socials when this goes out. So to anybody who's listening, who sees us on our socials, just just click on the episode link and you'll you'll see it there as well. Um, Gary, that's been absolutely brilliant. Enjoyed getting a taste of Total Football. And like you say, never going to find out where it's come from, but getting the flavour as to as to where it may have come from. And, and also thank you for sharing some actual kit history with us as well. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about football agents so thanks for having me on the, on the pod and you know uh, best of luck thank you very much we'll do it again one day okay cheers buddy I think it was really interesting I think um, that is a great listen for the younger fans because I think the, the younger generation think Pep don't they they think Barcelona they now think they now think City and they think Pep. So it's a really good insight into the actual origin of where Total Football came. But not only that, it was really good to hear how it kind of indirectly managed to pass on from generation to generation as well, but was inherently extremely successful. So yeah, it was a great, very, very good research done by the by the guys. And it was, it was really, really great listen. Yeah, it was a good listen. Um, what I'm going to do is use it as an excuse to link into our next mini feature, which would have been kit history. And I was going to do Ajax, but he pretty much covered that, didn't he? So I've had to make something up on, on the spirit of the moment. So what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to let you guys have a pick about what we do. I'm going to throw it back at you. So basically, when I do kit histories, I've got an interesting little book called Picking Up the Threads, The Colours of World Football. It's by a guy called John Chandler. And what I do is I have a little read through there. And if if there's the, the, the bits in there are just one paragraph, little bits of information. So then what I do, if I find one interesting, I'll then go away, put more time into having a look at it, check out more you know, reasons behind kits and so on. And that's how my kit histories are done. So I thought I'd throw it at you and say, tell me a club and I'll have a look and see what's in there. Is that book called The Colours of Football, ironically? Because you never know where the colours come from, mate. Uh, may- yeah, maybe I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always got a rough idea. We've got, a- yeah, go on, give-, give us a club. Who do we want? AD, well, why- first. Yeah, why, why did Turkey Tur- Verdi wear green? Why do you have to pick a J-League one? Haven't we done that already on here as well? I don't know, but it's called Tokyo Green, isn't it? So that's what Verdi is. Do you know what? I don't think that one's in the book, but I think if anybody wants to go back and listen to previous episodes, I believe that was actually covered. <laughs> go on, because Aidy's been a prick. Let's go to you, Scott. I'm trying to think of something not very obvious. What about team that you... So what about Werder Bremen? Why do they wear their colours? Right, let's have a little look. I actually know this one myself without even looking at the book. Hang on. No, no, I don't. I'm thinking of a different club. I'm thinking of Wolfsburg. And unfortunately, Werder Bremen's not in here. You, you, you two are oh. at this. Uh, what about my favourite one? I, I've always wondered, and I'd like to get to the bottom of the story. Why did West Ham play in their colours? Oh, we've <laughs> done that before. It's because they just copied Villa. It's be- it, They just, yeah, they just wanted to be as good as Villa. Be an interesting little segment, and all it is now is us take the piss out of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, I'll tell you what, let's let's do a Scottish one. Who do you want to know from, from Scotland then, Scott? Oh, well, you better do Hibs, it's the only team I actually want to hear about. Let's have a look. Uh, it says they copied Celtic. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, so it says Hibernian, it says Ireland provided the inspiration for the green and white colours of Hibernian. The Edinburgh Club was formed in 1874 by Catholic Irish immigrants. While the club's name comes from the Latin name for Ireland, Hibs wore plain green shirts until the late 1930s when the white sleeves, which have become the mainstay of the club shirt, was introduced. There you go. And there is actually a little link to Celtic in that one, because ironically, from my silly joke at the start of that, um, this actually says that Celtic's kits were inspired by Hibernian's kits. So, OK, on that then, a Yeovil in the book, because I heard that Celtic kits were inspired by Yeovil. I mean, that, that that could be also true. Sometimes there are little ideas of... Well, they of, can't uh, both be true, can they? Well, no, they can. You don't understand how this feature works, AD. Stop being silly. Right. Hang on, let's have a look. Yo, not only steal our good players, but they stole our shirt as well. <laughs> you, would you, do you get good players then? Well, you wouldn't know it because they're not seen as good till they get to Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> right, Yeovil Town. So, uh, like many teams from the west of England, Yeovil wear green. But unlike most, they haven't dismissed the shirts because the green supposed links with bad luck. And then it says in here, see Burnley, page 20, which we actually covered on another pod as well. The colours of the club came from the Yeovil Casuals, a forefather of the modern club. So theirs were inspired by a previous club who also wore green, but it doesn't give the reason as to why that club wore green, unfortunately. Do you know there's a common theme here, Aidy? Like I was saying, it's like it's like the fucking Da Vinci Code or something. Or, or if you ever watch any treasure hunting film, there's always another clue. So that it, <laughs> wherever you go, there's always like, or go to this page. So you go to page 20 and you read about Burnley and they'll know a little bit, but they'll be like, but we don't really know about this, but it came from this club. So that that book will just be a big fucking merry-go-round of going from page to page to page to page. There'll be no answer. Nobody knows why anybody wears any colour. <laughs> there, 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 there are some answers. There are some answers. But like I say, in all seriousness, this this book was kind of like... A little bit of an inspiration for this little mini feature that we do, because I think someone bought this book for me because they know of my uh, nerdy love for kits and do always end up checking other places, not just Wikipedia, like some people might think. But it is always interesting just to see where some of these the roots for these kits are. So this is a serious question. I'm not taking the piss. Is that book only got club teams in it? Nope, it's got some internationals as well. This book, most of the ones that they cover internationally don't, that they, they pretty much just go for the ones that aren't flag based. Um, so, for example, they do Italy with the blue, they do Japan with the blue, which we've covered before, they do Holland with the orange, and we've covered that. 
in the features today as well. Yeah, exactly. Remind us again, Mike, what is the name of that book? Uh, this book is called Picking Up the Threads, The Colours of World Football, and it's by John Chandler. Great little book. Everybody should buy it. Excellent. You can find that in the fiction section of any of your local bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> that That is doing Mr. John Chandler a complete disservice. And if he listens to this pod from him, fuck you, AD. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, John. And the other good thing about that book is it's not just full of Getty images. <laughs> that is true. It's not. And I'll tell you why, because there's actually loads of really, really cool, like little eight bit versions of the kits. It's actually really well illustrated. Oh, I really, I like really, that. really like it. So, yeah. So all joking aside, everybody should go. You can pick up that book literally just a few quid on eBay. I don't think anywhere selling it new anymore. It's quite an old book. But yeah, go out and buy it and then you'll know as much kit history as I do. <laughs> but also, if you want to get more of that Ajax total football feature, then the book itself, Dutch Masters, will be in our socials. That's pre-order at the moment. I think it's like number three in the book chart, uh, football chart already. It actually comes out on the 22nd of May. So check that out. Right. Have we got anything else today? Nothing for me. I'm ready to pack up and go on my holiday. Thank you very much. Busy few weeks ahead, though. we got... So this is going to go back to mad season, isn't it? Remember last year we were like, what are we going to talk about when there's no new shirt releases? And then we realised how easy it was to talk about things without shirt. Now we're going to go back to fucking 45 minute news segments as the shirts will just be piling in as we as we go. As, as well as a busy release schedule that we're inevitably going to have, we've got a busy schedule recording as well coming up because... We've got some incredible stuff lined up. We, we've got a record that we're all sitting in on this week with a, an incredible, I'm I'm, just, I'm not going to give too much away. All, all I'm going to say is he's a player and this guy's an international footballer, poster boy for his nation. This is easily the the, the, the biggest profile guest we've, we've ever had. And we literally cannot wait to sit down and record it. But then amazingly, we're following that up with more international footballers, and just um, just unbelievable guests. Like I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say I never, ever, ever imagined we'd be sat talking to some of the people that we're going to be talking to over the, the next few weeks. And I think it's, it's going to make for great podcasting. Looking forward to not only doing it, but listening back to it as well. It is going to be wild, though, isn't it? We don't want we don't want to oversell it. But one of the guests we have talk about a fucking scoop. I mean, we were literally. We're can we give one clue? Can we give any? Can we can we give a sort of clue? I, do you know what? I think all we should do is, as I say, say that th- th- this guy that we're recording with this week, as I say, poster boy, in- international footballer, poster boy for his nation, the-, the man of his generation. Everybody that listens to this podcast know who he is. He's an icon. Broadcaster. Yep, broadcaster. Chief, chief executive. He He's done it all. He He is... Yeah, without without giving his name, it's hard. It's hard to say much more, isn't it? Really, I think any clue. I think the the biggest clue you could you could give without giving any details is that he is a poster boy, but he is specifically a poster boy for shirt collectors. I mean, he is. If you think of the shirt, there's only one well, person. I think. Well, in. hang on, hang on. Let I tell you what. Out of us three, who's got shirts that he wore? I've got it. I've I've got a few, for, uh, yeah. a few of my absolute favourite, most iconic football shirts. I've got two as well, so maybe that's a clue for some people as well, given my collection. The three of us collect quite different stuff as well, so the fact that he covers all three of those is yeah. incredible. If if anybody wants to hazard a guess, then I actually think they should do it. I, I think they should at us on Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Just throw some guesses. If you get it right we'll swear you to secrecy and we'll admit it but until it is recorded we are not telling anybody his name yeah, we need to wait to the release date doesn't matter it's the recording this is the kind this is the kind of one that through no fault of anybody's it could slip through i mean the guy's a busy man he's he's currently employed so he's you know he's not retired so he's in a very busy schedule so yeah we're <laughs> we don't and- want to and, and, and like I say, the be- the best part is that we're we're going to follow it up with more like that as well. That that's the best part. It's not just going to be sort of like a a taster of, of one big sort of like feature. There's another guest, so not the not the one we're speaking about. But if you're an MLS fan, 
then we've got that the other guest that we're recording soon. That I mean, if you know your MLS history, he's he was iconic and prolific when he yeah. was playing. And like, and specifically with that particular guy as well, like you say, he still to this day holds an MLS record from the 90s. I'm not going to tell anybody what it is because then you yeah. can go and just have a look. But yeah, to be getting the one we've got this week and then that guy on, this is this is looking good. This is exciting for us, isn't it? Yeah. It really, really is. And we're mixing it up. We've still got um, a special collab we did with Forgotten Football Clubs as well. Uh, so that's recorded and ready to go. And it's really interesting one about some of the clubs that we, we are no longer with us or are with us in different uh, different guises. So, so yeah, some really, really exciting stuff. Gentlemen, I think we just need to make a final plea for people to leave us some feedback on the socials. But it does make a difference. I mean, I, and I know that we've discussed this privately, but it's nice. You know, we did that. Um, when we did the top uh, 20 shirts of all time, the amount of comments that we got from people that we didn't even realise that were listening. And, and as you say, you know, we had, we had a couple of good comments on Spotify and people are leaving good reviews. And it, it just goes to show that, you know, that the reach is, is a lot further than, than, you know, just, I mean, we're all very active on Twitter, but, you know, we have a lot of people out there. And it's, it's great when we release these episodes and we get this feedback from people that we didn't even you know, we didn't realise, listen, so it means, it does mean a lot to, to get involved. And we and the, we say this every week, but at the end of the day, we all love talking about football shirts. And we're not, we're not asking you to leave comments or interact because we want to look good or we want to feel good about ourselves with the numbers. We genuinely like doing it, you know, so that's why when you comment on our stuff, we reply. Or if you DM, you know, you DM us, we reply. We really, we really just love interacting and we love that we've, come up with something that people enjoy listening to and that that's the main thing we 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 do reply but if you're a chinese shirt seller we probably won't reply so you could probably save yourself a message on that i think it's all over it is is now. now That's so cute you both said that at the same time. Oh, very in sync now, Scott. You've been, 